The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. again, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan. It is wonderful to be back with you again for another week, and over the course of the next hour, again, I know this will shock you, but I believe we've got a good show lined up for you today. And look, when, when you get a chance to talk baseball and Jesus in the same conversation, how can you go wrong? And that's what we're going to be doing with today's guest, who I will tell you about in in just a moment. But it is great to have you with us um, on each of our 11 affiliates. Uh, The the audience is is continuing slow but steady growth, and that's what you want. You want a solid foundation. And uh, we're hoping in the not-too-distant future to have uh, an announcement about adding another affiliate. That's not done yet. Uh, and it's not definite yet, but we are hoping to have an announcement maybe inside the next couple of weeks. That's all in God's plans. It's all in His timing, and and you know me. We've talked about this enough since this program began. One of my main goals, and, and perhaps the, the secondary goal, other than sharing Jesus Christ, is making sure that I do not get ahead of God in this venture that we're doing. We are, again, in in week 18 of this brand new venture. In a lot of ways, we're just getting started. And one thing that I've tried to learn, especially over the last three or four years of my life, and, and specifically where Grand Slam Ministries and this radio show is concerned, don't get ahead of him. Don't try to do things on your time schedule, because when I do that, things go horribly wrong. So we're just trying to to be patient, to be faithful, to be excited about what he's given us so far and to look forward with great anticipation to where God is going to take this ministry and this radio show in the future. As I said, today we get to do one of my favorite things, and that's combine talking Jesus and baseball. And we're going to do it with a former big leaguer who played for the Cincinnati Reds, from 1969 through 1975, and then finished his career with the Atlanta Braves from 76 to 79, Daryl Chaney. Perhaps not the most well-known baseball player in the world, but he has become one of God's all-stars starting in his career and with what he has done afterwards. You're going to love this story. We'll get into the conversation with Daryl Chaney when we come back, but first I want to let you hear something about Grand Slam Ministries. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor? An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of the Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, 
their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure The Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org. And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Episode 18 of the Dan Scott Show. Welcome back. You know me, when I can talk baseball, I am as excited as I can be. When I can talk Jesus, I'm as excited as I can be. When I can put the two together, well, it's it's the best day ever, right? Daryl Chaney played 11 years in Major League Baseball, Cincinnati Reds and the Atlanta Braves. He has been in the corporate world. He has written a book that came out 10 years ago, uh, or was the subject of a book written by an author by the name of Dan Hedinger called Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance. And he does a lot of speaking engagements to churches, men's groups, corporations, doing a lot of inspirational, devotional speaking, sharing Christ and lessons that he learned during his time in the big leagues and beyond. Daryl Cheney is our guest, and we started the conversation by talking about how baseball's become something of a legacy and his family and a lesson that he tried to teach his grandson about the finances of the game of baseball. Check this out. My son, uh, Keith, he's our one and only child. Uh, Keith played uh, two years. He signed his junior year out of college with the Braves, played two years uh, minor league with the Braves and uh, decided he wasn't going to get anywhere. And got into education mm-hmm. and uh, he's got a middle grand. So he's got three boys. Uh, my oldest uh, grandson, Austin is 26 and he's a, uh, he's a, a meteorologist on uh, WSOC TV in Charlotte. Right now he's doing some substitute work for WHIO TV where he was previously in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, it's a company owned by Cox enterprises and they own three big TV stations, Dayton, Atlanta, and Charlotte, they're all number one in their markets. Uh, my youngest grandson, Connor, is is a flyboy. He's uh, got a pilot's license, and he's uh, he's so young he can't fly commercially yet. So he's uh, becoming a flight instructor until he can be 23 years old, where he can qualify to fly big planes. And my middle grandson, Chase, is another ball player. He's he's uh, He's pitching for the California Angels in high A ball. He signed right out of high school, 16th round pick. And um, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you how the game has changed. So, okay. So, so Chase was, was uh, drafted 16th round. And uh, the Angels gave him $125,000 cash. And, and this is public knowledge. And four years of 
a free college at any major university in any university in the country. Right. All expenses paid when his playing days are over. And a pretty good package for a 16th round pick. To get to compare, I was number two pick of the Reds in 1966, and, and I got $6,000. I was the 44th pick overall. And so uh, when Chase uh, signed his contract, I wanted him to understand <clears throat> how much the game has changed, how much money you can make if you happen to get to the big leagues, or even in the minor leagues, they pay in better nowadays because they've unionized. So I... <clears throat> when Chase signed his contract, we had a going away party for him, Dan. And I, uh, I, I got my first uh, nine years of contracts. Back then, I, I signed a, a year contract, you know, at, uh, excuse me, my first six years mm -hmm. contract. And, uh, uh, and I, I put him on the table and I showed Chase. I says, now, how much did you get, Chase? And he's going, Grandpa, I got $125,000 cash and four years of college. I said, let me show you what I got my first six years in the major leagues. I said, I'll lay, so I laid the contracts out and I said, add that up. He says, grandpa, that only comes to $122,000. <laughs> I said, you got more in your bonus as a 16th round pick than I did my first year, my first six years in the major leagues. So, uh, so we're watching chase and his uh, career, hoping he gets a, he's a pitcher and, uh, doing pretty good. So, uh, you know that's that's what I'm where I'm at right now. I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, of uh, of uh, de uh, devotionals for my company. We have a, a devotional every morning at eight fifteen, and uh, goes about fifteen minutes. Gets our our company uh, those who want to attend. It gets them all fired up about the, the day and has them something to bite into and hang on to for the day. And uh, our our company Prime Retail Services is is faith based company and. Uh, we're biblically run, and um, I'm proud to still be hanging around with them uh, because they've done really, really well. So life is good. My health is pretty good. I uh, uh, can't see very well out of my left eye. i got an eye disease in both eyes called keratoconus, and it's one of the reasons why I had to quit playing early. I couldn't see. <laughs> hard to hit. It's hard enough to, for me to hit anyway, let alone when I when I had trouble seeing. So uh uh, but it was a great, it was a great 11 year major league uh, run and, and uh, was blessed to, you know, be in the big red machine those years. And, and I enjoyed my time in Atlanta too. We liked the town so much. We settled here, of course, and, and uh, have raised our, our kids and grandkids here. You, you were born in, in Hammond, Indiana. And when did you realize that you might have pretty good skill playing the game of baseball? When I was seven. That early, um, when I was seven, um, and I was I was I was influenced by Ernie Banks of the Chicago Cubs. He became my role model, my idol, my all. I loved the man, and uh, we remained friends until the day he died. Uh, but he he was an inspiration to me at the age of seven, and uh, I realized after watching him play that I could, I could run, I could hit, I could throw, I could hit for power, and I started telling. You know, I started playing when I was six, I think. I, I started telling everybody, all my friends I hung around with, my mom and my dad and my brother and sister, that I was going to be a Major League Baseball player one day. And um, uh, Ernie Banks was a tremendous uh, influence on, on my goal to do that. And, of course, my parents were very supportive. My dad was my Little League and American Legion coach until the day I signed, and my mom was the team mom. And 
and, and all that got great support from them. <clears throat> so uh, that, I realized it early, um, whether or not it was going to come to fruition was, you know, time would tell. And I got better and better. And, and um, then I had a, I had a wonderful experience with Ernie and this is in our book. Um, when I was 12 years old, my dad was behind this. The Cubs were playing in it was August. We had our little league banquet. We only had one little league in town, but it was a big one in Hammond. And Ernie was uh, hired to come and be our banquet speaker. He played that day, hit a home run, and he was a little late getting to the banquet. <clears throat> and I was sitting in the front row right below the dais so I could get his autograph because he, he, he meant so much to me. I mean, he meant, he meant so much to a lot of kids in the Chicagoland area. And he was a tremendous, he knew he was a tremendous role model. And so he, he, he came to the banquet, but he came in the back door. And the lady in the back on a piano started playing, take me out to the ball game. And I knew he was there. And I turned around and the kids just swarmed him, just swarmed him. And, but he was so cordial, took pictures, signed autographs, smiling, dialing. And I told my dad, I said, I'm not going to get his autograph. Dad, I can't get back there. And my dad said, well, just keep the program and here's a pen. And when he's done speaking, we're right close to him. Just run on up there before he leaves and get his autograph. I said, okay, I'll do it. Well, right towards the end of his speech, he says, well, I got to go. He says, but I, I, and I could quote his speech. It was 25 minutes long and I could quote it word for word. And three things he said, four things he said that day that really stick with me to this day. He said, when you go to work, I want you to work hard. When you go to play, I want you to play hard. And when you go to pray, I want you to pray hard. And I want you to learn to tell the truth. That way you'll never have to remember what you said. That's pretty good advice for a 12-year-old kid, isn't it? It's pretty good it's advice pretty good for advice a 56-year-old man. Yeah. Grandpa. <laughs> and so uh, he said, but before I go, he says, I understand that there's one kid. I, I know a lot of kids in here. Uh, I have an impact on their lives, but I understand one kid is really dying to meet me. And so I want him to come on up here. And he said, well, this kid played this year for the Tigers, and he was a pitcher and threw a no-hitter. And I said, well, geez, I, I played for the Tigers. I was a pitcher. I threw a no-hitter. I wonder if he's talking about me. So this guy's also a shortstop and he's a switch hitter. And I said, man, he's got to be talking about me. I'm the only guy in the Tigers that did all this. <laughs> Excuse me. And he said, well, Daryl Cheney, if you're out there in the audience, will you please come on up here? And man, oh man, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. My dad said, get on up there. I know my dad had something to do with this. Mm -hmm. And I took that program up there in that ink pan and he put his arm around me and he looked out in the audience. He says, now, young man, remember what I just said about telling the truth. I want you to look out there in the audience and tell them, what do you really want to be when you grow up? He, well, he couldn't have asked me an easier question. I was scared to death. 12 years old, I'm standing next to Ernie Banks. He's got a three-piece suit on, a white shirt, red tie, looked like a banker. And um, I said, Mr. Banks, all I ever want to be is a Major League Baseball player, and I want to be just like you. I pointed to him even. And he took that program and he signed it to me. He says, to Daryl Cheney, I'll see you in the big leagues. And he signed it to Ernie Banks. Well, you know, uh, how many kids get that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I took it home and I got a cross hanging up behind my bed and I had a thumbtack and I tacked that thing next to it. And I remembered work hard, play hard, pray hard, tell the truth, try to do all that as good as I could and um, kept on playing, got better and better and better. And I got picked by the Reds in 66 and in 69, I get to the big leagues right away. And uh, we had a trip uh, middle of middle of the summer in the Chicago and I was a utility player, and Tommy Helms, our second baseman, was uh, 
was hurt. And we had a weekend series with the Cubs and I got to play Ernie at that time in 1969. If you recall the, 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 the Cubs were really good. Mm-hmm. They had a nine game lead in September or August, late August. And they blew it and the Mets won it. But anyway, uh, I go for four on Friday and Saturday and I've been trying to get to Ernie before the games and say hi to him and Hey, remember me and thank you for being an inspiration and all that. And, uh, he, he would, he would be, he, he wouldn't take batting practice those days. He was out in the uh, left field area where the firehouse is in Chicago's Wrigley Field where the gate is out there where the bleacher people come in. He was sitting out there signing autographs and stuff. So I didn't get to talk to him before the games. My second game, I first time up, I hit a double. And I didn't hit many doubles. And um, I got to thinking, when I, every time I went to the plate, too, in that series, I was thinking, gosh, there he is, 90 feet away. It's Ernie, Ernie down there. I wonder if he remembers me. <laughs> And uh, that morning, on that Saturday morning in the Chicago Sun-Times, there was a little article that said, Red's rookie dream comes true. And it, t- it talked about this autograph that Ernie gave me when I was 12. And uh, so when I hit that double, I'm thinking, man, I, I got to run the second, but I sure would like to stop it first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll get this chance again. Well, my second time up, I hit a chopper over the mound, beat it out for an infield hit. Now I'm two for two. I'm feeling pretty good. Mom and dad, sister and brother are right behind the Red's dugout in the stands. And my dad knew it was a big moment for me. And I put my left foot on the bag and my just bent down and on my uh, and I said, "Dear Lord, thanks so much for getting me here." Because at the end of the day, by the grace of God, was I standing there next to that man, and he put his arm around me, Dan. And you know, the Reds, we we drew, we packed the house wherever we went. There was thirty six thousand people in Wrigley Field back then, no lights. And he put his arm around me and he yelled out real loud. He said, "Daryl Cheney, Daryl Cheney, welcome to the big leagues." I knew you'd make it, young man. He said, how long ago was it at that banquet in Hammond, Indiana? And I'm thinking, can't, can't remember that or remember me. But he must have read about it in the paper that morning. Mm-hmm. Whether he remembered me or not, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me then, doesn't matter to me now. He put his arm around me, gave me a hug, and he said, welcome to the big leagues. I knew you'd make it. And that's the title of our book, Welcome to the Big Leagues. You, you so, know, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of... There, there, there's a lot of depth to that in, in what seems like such a simple moment. If, if you take a look at where the country was at the time and what was going on, you, you've got you, you've got veteran who's very close to retiring, rookie. You've got black man. You've got white man embracing. I mean, there, there's just a lot of depth to what seems like such a simple moment. Oh, you've got that right, Dan. You know, and back then. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't realize uh, the racial strife that might have been going on, especially in the South. I mean, right. when I played in the minor leagues in the Southern League, we still had dugouts with uh, uh, water fountains for the white players and water fountains for the black players. And we had to drop our black players off at a different hotel at times and stuff like that. Um, and I didn't realize, you know, Ernie Banks was a major league baseball player. I didn't realize that, you know, he came up post Jackie Robinson uh, time, but he, he still... He was the first professional black athlete in Chicago, but still I didn't realize all that he had had to go through Mm -hmm. uh, uh, being an African-American major league baseball player. It wasn't easy for these guys. And uh, as time has gone by, um, I've, 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 I've gained more and more, especially for Ernie, I've gained more and more respect uh, for that man and the impact he had on kids uh, because of all those things he had to go through. And yet, uh, he smiled his way through it, hit home runs, 
and uh, made an impact on, you know, millions of kids in the Chicagoland area. I mean, if he were alive today and wanted to run for the mayor of Chicago, he'd win hands down. I, I wish he was alive and I wish he would run for the mayor of Chicago. But, <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, but that's that. And I started, so I, it's, I started at seven uh, thinking I could do it. And uh, it came, it came to fruition in 1969. So it's been a, it's been a God blessed ride all along. Visiting with Daryl Cheney, former big leaguer with the Big Red Machine and the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to talk about his book uh, here in a little bit and, and more about his speaking. I, I want to step away from baseball for a moment. We talked about your journey to the big leagues. Tell me about your journey to faith in Jesus Christ. How did that come about? It's really interesting. Um, well, it's interesting to me. <laughs> but I think it's interesting to a lot of folks because, I know, God put me – God put me on the earth and, uh, for a lot of reasons, I think. And one of them was to, 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 uh, to witness uh, to others. And um, so my story, I was born and raised uh, cradle Catholic. I still am. Um, but, you know, when you, get, when you get into professional baseball, it's, it's hard to get to church. Uh, we, had, we had night games on Saturday. We had doubleheaders on Sunday. And uh, a, a young shortstop for the Minnesota Twins back in 1968 or 69, I believe, his name is Danny Thompson. Uh, he passed away a couple years after this uh, with leukemia. But Danny started uh, Danny started a, a thing called Baseball Chapel. He hooked up with a, a beat writer for the Detroit Tigers named Watson Spolstra. Waddy was... Uh, uh, a recovered, a recovering alcoholic who had found the Lord. And Waddy said, well, I'll get you speakers for this chapel if you'll, you know, you'll organize it on the player's end. And the way it went was a man would come in to the clubhouses uh, for about 15 or 20 minutes before the game. He'd do one team first, next team after that. And he would uh, give us a basically a devotional. Some guys would end their talks with, hey, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you don't, we can we can solve that right now. Mm -hmm. We can pray this prayer to receive Christ. And one of the things that I was assigned to do when I got to the Reds, two things. Uh, and, and, and back then, a lot of a lot of things were put on you because you you were a utility ball player. And one of them, I was a player rep and an alternate player rep with the Reds and the Braves. And uh, I became the chapel leader when this thing started. And so I would have the opportunity uh, to get up early in the morning on Sunday and meet the speaker for breakfast and then introduce him to the ball clubs. And as I, as I was getting involved in this, um, I was hearing these, these testimonies of these guys who had really gone through struggles and, and uh, some really, really, you know, great testimonies. Some, some guys had gone through some really bad stuff. And, uh, and when they came to the Lord, uh, their life changed. Their life changed. And um, so I was struggling a little bit earlier in my career. Uh, this was in 1973 now. I've got four years in the big leagues, going to these chapels and everything. And I, I got thinking, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never gotten on my knees and, and, and asked the Lord to come into my life. Uh, I've never made that I know who Jesus is. I'm, I'm born and raised Catholic. I went to church in grade school. I went to church every morning before school started. And um, as it would happen, uh, going through those struggles early on, I was thinking, you know, I'm on the big red machine, but I think I should be playing every day. 
You know, it's, you ever have those days when you wake up and you say, I know I'm not much, but sometimes I'm all I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, we were in St. Louis in 1973 and uh, I was playing, uh, I got in a game, uh, made an error, went over for four, we lost a game, came back to the hotel and uh, uh, was rooming with Jack Billingham. And uh, uh, we were getting ready to go out to dinner. The phone rings in the, in the hotel room and it's my brother calling me, telling me that our mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, it was bad. And back in those days, they didn't know much about as much about breast cancer they do today. Right. My, mom, my mom lived for uh, seven years uh, with that, and uh, the cancer spread, and, and she suffered quite a bit. But anyway, I got that call from my brother. Um, I I was devastated, and it was like you know I I I can't do anything for her. I I I can't make the lineup card out. Sparky Anderson does that. I can't I can't help my mom. And um, I, I was broken uh, that day. And, you know, on top of having a bad game, I get this bad news. So we we're going to the uh, elevator to go out to dinner with a bunch of guys. And, and I, I said, I got to I got to go back to the room, Jack. I, I got this bad news and I just don't feel like going out. And I went back to the Chase Park Plaza Hotel and uh, got in between the beds in our hotel room and got on my knees and I asked the Lord to come into my life that day. And, um, you know, no bells or whistles went off, uh, none of that, but it just added to me, it added to the importance of, uh, being involved in baseball chapel and having an impact, having these speakers impact these other players lives like it did mine. And so uh, it took on more meaning for me to be the chapel leader. I, I gladly accepted the role uh, wherever I went. And, uh, you know, some guys would look at me and say, boy, this guy is, this guy's gone off the deep end and this kind of thing. But a lot of guys were looking at me and saying, you know, I, li I like what this guy did. I like what way this guy is going about things nowadays. And so I was, I was really realizing that uh, God put me on this earth for a number of reasons. And one of them was, uh, to to testify to my life before that day and my life after that day. And so that's what I've been doing ever since that day. And uh, when my playing career was over, I made it a point to stay involved in uh, men's Bible studies and speaking at churches and uh, things like that. And then when I met Dan Hedinger, who is the author of the book, Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance, the Daryl Cheney story, uh, Dan wanted to write this book about my my life in baseball of being a not so famous baseball player in one of the greatest teams in history. Um, because there were many days when I woke up and I said, "Yeah, I know I'm not much, but all I'm thinking about today." So, um, uh, the 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 book uh, on top once once the book came out ten years ago, and it was quite a while after we, you know, after I was done playing. It has been my um, it has been my avenue to continue uh, this work that the Lord has has put in my hands. I believe, and uh, so uh, when and I pray every morning. I pray the prayer of Jabez every morning, uh, and 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 when I pray that prayer, it, it, part of the prayer is just a couple of sentences in the Old Testament it says. Uh, uh, 
have a, uh, help me be an impact on someone's life, basically paraphrasing it. Right. So every time, anytime I, I, I get an opportunity, like when you call and you said you wanted to have me on, um, I, I can't say no because I'm asking the Lord every morning to enlarge my territory. And uh, so when I have these opportunities, I gladly accept them. And here we are. Well, I don't, I don't know the, uh, the significance of this yet, but uh, we're on 11 affiliates. We're 17 weeks into a brand new venture that I started. One of the affiliates is in Paisley, Scotland. So who knows? what may happen out of this? You, you may have just gone international and not known it. <laughs> hey, I've never been across the pond, so if they there need we a go. speaker over there, I'll be glad to go over there and give my testimony. <laughs> we are visiting with Daryl Cheney, former big leaguer, um, ambassador for Christ, and uh, former member of the Big Red Machine. You got to the big leagues, you said, in 1969, and you're walking into – Cincinnati at that time, Dave Bristol was the manager that year. Sparky Anderson would come along in 1970. It's it's the 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 precipice, the cusp of what would become the Big Red Machine. Uh, went to the series in 1970. Got off to that 70 and 30 start. You went to the series in 1972. Got there in 1975, and and in what may be the greatest World Series of all time, finally won it, beat the Red Sox. So you, you were there as the the big red machine legend was born and and came into into fruition um whether you were a utility player or not you you were you were there and part of it and and this is a question that probably there's not enough time to really answer this but but what was it like and did you realize the significance of what was happening in the moment uh it, it, what was it like? It was, it was, it was like my dream come true plus 10. I got to the big leagues and then I'm on one of the greatest teams ever. Uh, it was, it was, uh, in 1975 after losing two world series, I can remember Pete Rose before, uh, before the world series began in 75, he says, look, we've been here, you know, twice and lost them. We've been in the playoffs three times. And because uh, in 73, we lost to the Mets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, let's go out and win this thing. Let's readjust our goals here. Let's just don't be happy to be here. We need to win one of these things. And uh, I can remember that really kind of kind of fired everybody up. Uh, and we were favored heavily to win that 75 World Series. And Boston took, took us to seven games. It was, you know, the, the, the World Series was rated by Major League Baseball, uh, the, the baseball channel. Well, the greatest World Series in the last 50 years, and the sixth game of that series was uh, rated the, the greatest World Series game ever. Um, and I, I pinch hit in that sixth game in the fourth inning, if uh, anybody remembers that. But uh, uh, it, 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 it was, it, it was uh, to, 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 when you won the World Series that when we won the World Series that year, I can remember the parade going into Cincinnati. People were hanging out the windows of the high rises and, and uh, throwing confetti on us and everything. And, um, you know, we were parading down the, the street and people were even looking at a guy like me and said, there goes Daryl Chaney. He's a member of the 1975 world champion Cincinnati Reds. How many guys can say that? You know, how many guys have come along and played this game at the level I was blessed to play it at? And, and yet, be, you know, Ernie Banks never played in the World Series. Right. 
my idol never played in a World Series. You know, I told him one time, I, I said, you want one of my World Series rings for one of your all-star rings? <laughs> and uh, uh, so it, 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 uh, it, it was a great time in my life. And my wife's too. My wife and I really enjoyed. We got married when we were 19. So she grew up in Meyer Lakes with me. And she knew the trials and tribulations and the travel and, you know, uh, being a single young woman in an apartment complex when her husband's gone. And, you know, we didn't have security systems back then and guys be knocking on her doors and all that kind of stuff that we went through together. Um, it, it was, it was really, really all worth it. And, uh, uh, you know, baseball was in my blood from the get-go. It still is. I got involved uh, after I got done playing with the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association. I was on the board of directors for 20 years. And then we created a division called Major League Baseball Players uh, Alumni Marketing Group, which was a for-profit arm of our 501c3. Now, don't ask me how that works, but it was a <laughs> And what we did is we tried to create opportunities for former players who didn't have, didn't have much uh, to go out and, and speak and appear uh, and get paid for it. And uh, I'm real proud of uh, my time at that. I was in the, that position for uh, eight years uh, before I, I gave that up uh, and, and uh, just helping former players who had fallen upon hard times. You know, a lot of people don't realize when you look at baseball today, you know, back in our day, we went on strike twice and got locked out once to create uh, arbitration and free agency and a better health care plan and a better pension plan. Um, and today, the players really, really benefit from that, those those uh, uh, labor strikes back then. And um, it, 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 it was it was worth it. A lot of times I would go to these uh, negotiations with the owners during these strikes. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a borderline ball player. My per career, career could be over because of, of who I am and the position that I have in the game. But I, I was trying to help, uh, you know, the, the, the less fortunate guys out there today, everybody's fortunate, you know, uh, right. but there's still guys, my age guys older than me that uh, just don't have much. And I continue to stay involved uh, to, to help those guys. You know, it's interesting in a lot of ways how the game has changed, some for, for good and, and some not so good, in, in my opinion. That's another rabbit hole we could go down that I'll try to stay away from. But you, you talked about the player-owner relationship in those days and, and the fact that just being a player rep kind of put you on on the radar. I, I had the, the uh, privilege to interview Jim Bouton three times. And, and of course, he was almost blackballed from baseball because of the the book that he wrote ball four but he was involved in 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 player owner negotiations and 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 he wrote and talked about that very thing that being a a player rep in those days that that was not something that people mm -hmm. wanted to be yeah I, I i get it man i i played with jim in in atlanta for a little bit when he got uh, he got over here. Uh, I can I can remember in 1972, Dan. Uh, we had uh, decided two weeks with two weeks to go in spring training. We decided to strike, and uh, so I'm sitting in my locker, cleaning my locker out, getting ready to go to, up to Cincinnati to our apartment. Uh, I had no fallback, 
And back in those days, uh, you know, we weren't making any money. We didn't have a whole lot of uh, expense money reimbursed to us, uh, all that stuff. <clears throat> and Bob Housen, the general manager of the Reds, came up to my locker 10 o'clock in the morning. We were going to play the Cardinals that day. And he said, Daryl, he said, this is the darkest day in the history of our game. But you young man can do something about it. Being a player rep, you can get nine guys together and go out there and play that game against the Cardinals today and uh, basically break that picket line. And I said, Mr. Housen, I, I can't do that. And I thought that was the end of my career. I really did. Uh, he, he turned away, walked away, didn't say another word to me. And um, I got up to Cincinnati and uh, the day before the strike ended, I was filling out an application to go work at a Burger King uh, because wow. I needed a, I needed a job. Uh, fortunately, the strike ended. And even more fortunately than that, uh, I was still on the team. <laughs> and uh, the 72 season uh, was a good one for us. Really, really good one. But a lot of people tell me, uh, and Dave Bush, my buddy from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, he, he swears, he says the 1972 team was the best team the Reds ever had. We were good. We were really good. Yeah, and involved in another classic World Series that went seven games with the uh, Oakland Athletics at the time. Daryl, I, I... You know, what, you, you know my, my, uh, my claim to fame in that World Series, Dan, I was... Uh, that year I was platoon with Davey Concepcion, and I, I, I hit him by a couple of points, I think 254 to 252, something like that. But I played good defense, and Davey and I were platoon most of the year. I played against the Pirates in the, in the playoffs, uh, they were all right-handed pitchers for Pittsburgh. So that famous playoffs in 72, when Johnny uh, tied the game up in the ninth inning with the home run, uh, you know, I was, I was playing all, all those games and uh, I did all right, did all right. And, um, uh, but in the, we got to the world series and, and uh, I was playing against the right-handers. Davey was playing against the left-handers. We get to the seventh game and John Blue Moon Odom, right-handed pitcher starting Sparky calls me in his office and says, uh, I was over 10 and uh, Sparky says, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up a little bit today. I'm going to play Davey at short and Debbie wouldn't have him have a much better world series than I was, but, and boy, oh boy, was I mad. This is before my, I really came to the Lord and uh, I was, you know, I, you know, you, you dream about these games, you know, and uh, I was really looking forward to that seventh game. And I said, maybe I'll back out of this slump. I'm going to get a couple of hits. We're going to be world champs. And, I go to the ballpark and I'm on, I'm on the bench. We get to the bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, nobody on pitchers up. Sparky says, Daryl, grab a bat. Well, I said, I looked over to bill Plummer. <laughs> we sat together a lot. <laughs> I said, I'm going to try and get one out of here. And, uh, so I get up and guess who's pitching Raleigh fingers mm -hmm. all guys. And so, uh, First pitch, and Raleigh had one of the best sliders, just bit hard, and uh, he, he he spun one on me, and it it was right down Peachtree, and uh, Peachtree is a, is a street in Atlanta, Main Street in Atlanta. It was right down the middle, and I put a good swing on it. I fouled it straight back, and I'm telling you what, I, I if I'd have another quarter of an inch or something, I might have hit it out of there. I mean, I had a really good swing. Well, I fouled it straight back, and I backed out of the box, and I says, well. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> He's never going to throw one like that again. Next pitch. 
he throws a real good slider, bites down and in, and it hits me on the knee. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm on first base. Guess who's up? Pete Rose. And I said to myself, if Pete hits a single, I'm going to score. Because <laughs> we were down, it was two to one. Right. Or four to three, something. It was one one game. Mm-hmm. And um, Pete hits a line drive left center field, and Joe Rudy makes a nice, you know, run and catch. And and I'm on the I'm on almost third base when Rudy catches the ball. Well, that's the last out of the game. World Series is over. A's are world champions, and they come run out of their dugout, and they're running. They run over me. I'm trying to get back to our dugout because I'm on third base, ready to try and score. And here come the A's out to celebrate. And um, but anyway, uh, I did what I was supposed to do. I got on for the one of the best hitters in the, ever in the history of the game, and thought our chances would have been pretty good right there. Um, well, that's my that's my World Series story. <laughs> 1972. I, I I told you I wanted to be respectful of your time, so I, I don't want to keep you much longer. But I I did tell you there was a story I wanted to ask you about because I had read it somewhere, and I've never been able to find it again, and I can't remember where I found it the first time. And when I get a chance to speak uh, in, in churches and and to men's groups, uh, there was a point in time that I was using this story and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to stop using it until I can confirm it. So now I can go to a source who was there. And the story goes that in spring training, 1975, that Sparky had everybody in the clubhouse and he's going over the rules. This is what you can do. This is when you're supposed to be here. This is, these are places you can go. These are places you can't go laid down the law. And he said, it applies to everybody in this room except for those four guys over there. And those four guys happen to be Rose, Bench, Morgan, and Perez. Three Hall of Famers and, and a guy who probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. Did that story happen? Was that true? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, and and uh, it was really funny. That year it was Doug Flynn, who's a real, real good friend of mine. We uh, love him to death. Uh, we, we've maintained our friendship all these years. Doug Flynn was a rookie on the team that year, and he kind of – look to me for, you know, how do I, how do I handle this being a rookie kind of stuff? And that was, you know, it was my, it was my uh, seventh year in the big league. So I was giving him some advice all along the way during the year and everything. And he looked at me and said, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you could take it two ways. And a lot of guys did. One was uh, these guys uh, are, are the heart and soul of this team. And uh, they can set their own rules because they know, they know what they're doing, and um, but but I'm not going to question them on any of the rules that I make. Uh, but the other guys, I I would question, or guys looked at it and said, okay, those four guys uh, don't have the rules we do. Let's just maybe Sparky is saying, let's just follow them, do what they do. Pete was one of those guys where back then when a young a uh, white player would come along. He'd kind of be the guy to take him under their wings. Uh, Joe would do the same thing with the black players. Tony would do the same thing with the Latin players. And uh, these guys were very well respected in what they do. I, I remember uh, Sparky one time telling me, he says, uh, hey, Daryl, uh, you see Pete over there? Yeah. He just got his hair cut. That was, that was Sparky's way of saying you need to get a haircut. Because back then, you know, we couldn't have sideburns, we couldn't have facial hair, uh, all that stuff. And so, you know, Pete got a haircut, Daryl got a haircut, you know. Uh, I just followed what what they were doing, and, and it worked out pretty good. One of the things that I 
I find interesting in um, in professional sports, and I'll use baseball as an example since I played it so long, is that when you get to spring training like Sparky did that year in 1975 and he's making these comments, one of the hardest things for a manager to do is at the beginning of the season, and today it's, 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 it's players from all over the world are in that clubhouse. They've got different personalities. They've got different ways of doing things. And the manager's job is to get them all together, uh, make them love one another for 162 games, because you're going to be with them all the time, and have them for one sole purpose in mind, and that's to win a world championship. So Sparky was really good at doing that. He really, really was. And uh, so uh, uh, you, you just, you just uh, one of the reasons why the Cincinnati Reds were so good in those years is because all the players, no matter what was going on outside the clubhouse, Dan, no matter what was going on outside the clubhouse, when those guys walked in the door, me included, understood what their job was that day and performed it up to their uh, ability, the, the, the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what was going on outside, when they walked in that clubhouse, it was all about winning that game that night. Yeah, I, Rose, I, I, Rose used to always say, we were a fan's delight. You wanted to see home runs. You wanted to see stolen bases. You wanted to see great defense. No matter who it was on the team, when the fans came to the ballpark, they got they got to see it all every single night. Yeah, we I, were good. I, I, I got <laughs> to ask you, you win that World Series in 75, you're riding high. And then you get traded to one of the worst teams in baseball. In, in 1976, you were part of the trade that brought Mike Lum in, into Cincinnati for the 76 season. And coincidentally, or oddly enough, that's when you had your best statistical year in, in 1976. But what was it like to go from one of the best teams in baseball to one of the worst teams in baseball, the Atlanta Braves? It, it was like falling off the roof of my house. But I understood, and Bob Housen told me this when he traded me. He said, I wanted to give you a chance to play every day. I really believed he did. Um, and they wanted a power hitter coming off the bench, and that wasn't going to be me. But I can remember I was a player rep, and the owners were down in Florida. Uh, this is in early December. Um, uh, the owners were down in Florida. And I get a call from Dick Wagner, the assistant general manager of the Reds, wanting to talk about a, a labor issue with me. And I said, by the way, Dick, uh, you ain't trading me, are you, while you're down there? And he said, no. <laughs> the next morning, <laughs> I was uh, in my car on the way to give a speech at a, at a breakfast in Cincinnati. And on the radio, <laughs> I heard that I was traded to the Braves. And, uh, of course, back then we had no cell phones. And I don't know if my wife was listening or what. But uh, when I got to a pay phone, I called her up and I said, I said, you didn't hear this by any chance, did you? And she says, no. I said, well, we've been, we're going to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, you put- and all along, uh, when I played for the Reds, I knew I was a trade suspect, and, and I certainly did want to play every day. And I, I wanted, if I, if I had my, my druthers, I said, uh, Cindy and I both said, if we could go somewhere, I wouldn't mind going to San Diego. What a beautiful town, great weather. Or I liked Atlanta. I wouldn't mind going to Atlanta. And sure enough, I got, I got traded down to the Braves, and so – I'm still here. Played 153 games that year. That was the, the most games you played. Uh, Career-high batting average that year, 252. Career-high RBIs, 50. So you got you got a chance to play and, and closed out your career there. And and as you said, uh, that, that's kind of been home for you 
for most of your your post baseball career. Um, how do you want to be remembered? Well, I I think I'd like to be remembered as a guy who uh, had a had a, a tremendous concern for his brothers. Uh, you know, this this life is is it seems like it's long, but it's really short compared to what's coming up. And uh, I, I want everybody to be in a position to where uh, they can they can think or know uh, that they have uh, an eternity ahead of them. And uh, they got two choices, and I, I want them to help. I want to help them make the right choice, you know. Uh, so, uh, when 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 God gave me the ability to play baseball, I wanted to be Ernie Banks. I wanted to be an All Star. I wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. I wanted to be all those things. Um, but I I think his his purpose for me was what what we just talked about my life here, and. Um, and uh, and and by the by the means of baseball, I've got a platform uh, to encourage others uh, to take a look at those two options. And while you may not have been an all star as a player, perhaps God's made you an all star in that field since your career has been done because you have been spreading the word ever since. Well, it even started as you said when you were a player, but especially now with with the book and your speaking and everything that you're doing. Um, it's hard for us as men sometimes to, you know, the old saying, it, it's, it's easy to say the words, let go and let God, but it's hard as us for men to do that. Uh, but if we will, if we'll take our hands off the wheel and say, okay, God, you take me where you want me to go. I mean, I, as we get set to wrap it up, I'm assuming you never thought that this would be what you were doing now when your baseball career started. Not at all. No, not at all. I mean, it's it's a it's a God thing all the way, and uh, you know, you look back and Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the plans I have for you," saith the Lord, and they're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and hope. And then verse twelve says, and you, "When you pray, I will I will listen." And uh, that's certainly when I when I uh, subscri- uh, put a subscription in the book and an autograph, I put Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in there. Uh, because uh, God does have a plan for us. And uh, as I look back on it, uh, and his plan is perfect. His plan is a perfect plan, right? And my answer to that question was absolutely. When you allow God's will and his plan to take precedence in your life, amazing things can happen. Just great stuff from former big leaguer Daryl Cheney. We will take a break, come back, and close out this week's edition of the show right after this. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. 
Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. We are back to very quickly wrap things up on this week's edition of the show. Daryl Cheney's website is DarylCheney.com, and he actually runs the site himself. So if you reach out, he will be the one who responds to you. The book that we talked about, Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance, was written by Don Hedinger about Daryl Cheney. And when he talks, among the subjects he speaks on are all chapters in the book. I know I'm not much, but sometimes I'm all I think about. Ain't that the truth? Every man's search for significance, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. What's my place on this team, in this company, in this life? And tell the truth, and you'll never have to remember what you said. Man, that was great advice from the great Ernie Banks, wasn't it? Daryl Cheney, thank you so much for your time. If things come to fruition, I am in conversations with um, a number of potential guests that the next five or six weeks could potentially knock your socks off. Some just amazing stories of God working in people's lives and taking broken people and broken lives, redeeming them and some of the things they are doing right now. It is amazing. So just uh, tune in next week and you're very likely to hear one of those stories. I'll ask you as we get set to get out of here too to be in prayer for the hundreds of people who either made a first-time commitment to Christ or rededicated their lives at the Rick Gage Go Tell America crusade that just wrapped up here in the upstate of South Carolina. It was an incredible four-day event. God really moved. We'll see you again next time. I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you, and so long, everybody. 